Hi. How are you? I do this with my students. If you are having a really good day, thumbs all the way up. Kind of not so great, going down, super tired, rather be in a warm, cozy bed. Give me a ranking of how you're feeling right now. Be honest. It's okay. It's okay. I want to be in bed, too. I'm glad to be here, but I want to be in bed. So, Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. I saw this thing on Facebook. It was a picture of, like, this cartoon woman in her bed, and she's like, this is how I want to be all day. And there's, it's, like, her in her bed standing up, like, getting her coffee at the store, and then her standing at her desk typing, but she's in her bed. And I was like, oh. We need to figure out a way to do that. That'd be awesome. Okay, anyway, moving on. Last week, I introduced uh, to all of you the Enneagram. So this is week two of our um, contentment, Enneagram, relationship, reconciliation, resilience, all those words. We're talking about all of that pre-holiday festivities. Uh, I feel like a lot of that is going to come up in the next couple weeks with your families. And so I want to give you some encouragement and hopefully get you excited about interacting with family members or coworkers during what could be the busiest time of the year. So I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna restate some of what I said last week. Like I said last week, I love talking about this stuff. It's hard, but I love talking about it. And if I am off script, then I will yeah, jabber on and on for hours, and I'm sure you'll want to eat lunch. So I'm going to try to stick to my notes as much as possible. Um, I'm going to refresh your memory. Uh, if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, hopefully I can catch you up. So um, over the recent years, I've noticed that whenever people get together, there tends to be an opportunity for conversation, celebration, friendship building, and love. But there's also the opportunity for miscommunication, anger, frustration, you're, some of you are nodding, and disagreements. With the upcoming holidays and this um, topic of personal contentment, we're going to talk about being resilient people, like we claim to pursue here at Reachway Church. Resiliency is not facing a difficulty and just saying, it's fine. It's not just seeing a problem and saying, eh, I'll deal with it later. Resilient people are able to withstand and recover quickly from difficult conditions. The resiliency that Christ desires for each person on the planet is to move towards reconciliation. And that's just a big word for saying recollection. When we collect what's been broken, we're able to remake and rebuild. That takes time and patience and effort and forgiveness and understanding and compassion and love. So last week, we looked at the Enneagram, which is a nine-pointed figure that shows the nine personality types and how they're interconnected. The Enneagram is a personality test that describes your personality in terms of how you relate to God, to others, and to yourself. It's a system based on many ancient wisdom traditions that were developed in the late 1860s by a man in South America. There are nine personalities that focus on the core motivations and core fears in someone's life. The Enneagram is not originally a Christian personality study, but there are many Christian teachers and counselors who use this to um, counsel big groups of people or pastors or leaders of organizations and that kind of thing. The goal of the Enneagram is to help you discover your true self, the reason behind your thoughts, your behaviors, and your words. It's a tool to help you see your false self, 
the unique ways that you bear the mark of the fall or sin, and to help you see your true self, the unique ways that God has created you in his image. He made you for his glory and for the good of others. If we are to prioritize being resilient people, we must prioritize looking inside and evaluating ourselves so that we're able to understand why we live the way we do. Personally, I love learning about myself, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. I know a lot of people don't like learning about themselves. They find it unnerving, and that's okay too. The goal is not to see your personality for all that you're not. The goal is to see yourself the way God sees you. There are beautiful parts of the Enneagram, and my favorite part is that each personality is a personality trait of God. So when we look at these nine traits today, and we're going to get into, into a, a lot of details about them, not all details, but that would take years um, to talk about, but we're going to get into the details of it, and I love that each one is a unique trait of God. And Jesus, when he was on earth, manifested these personality traits as well at different points in his life. God created us each uniquely. Isn't it amazing that the reason you are the way you are is because he put pieces of himself into his creation, which is you? I think that's amazing. That's why it's easy for me and hopefully easy for you to speak truth over others. Just tell them who they are, a child of God, a picture of him. They are the hands and feet of Jesus. They are the prince of the king. They are the princess to the God of the universe. They might be a hot mess. I'm sure you all know those people. They might be the most disagreeable people that you've ever met, but they were created and loved and invested in by God. They hold value, and we need to acknowledge that. So like um, we went over last week, our verse for these last two weeks has been 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. It's on page 1,784 in the Bible on your table. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. And I'm just going to read a part of that. There are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. The same goes with the body of Christ. We are all different, and we are made differently. Let's not believe the lie that we'd be better if we were all the same, or if we even all agreed. So last week, we talked about the triads. We talked about people who think with their head, people who think with their heart, and people who think with their gut. Each of these triads are made up of three of the personality types um, that are seen on a bunch of the papers on your table. This week, we're going to dive into the Enneagram numbers themselves, because I know a lot of you had questions last week, like, tell me what number I am, or what does this all mean? Um, last week, I just wanted to give you an overview. These are kind of the three central areas where people make their decisions, or why they make their decisions. And this week, we're going to get into all the numbers. So on your table, there is the discussion paper. There's two pieces of paper that show all the Enneagram numbers, like on the uh, circle thing. And then there are nine small pieces of paper, and each one has one of the Enneagram numbers on it. So you might have to share with the people around you, kind of go through them as I go through them. But some things before we start. 
just basic Enneagram information. We can't assign each other numbers. So I know that a lot of people, <laughs> like I heard a conversation the, last week, uh, a spouse was like, this is your number, which is fine because you know that person and you hang out with them a lot. Um, but we can't assign that number to a person. We could say, I think you're this. Um, counselors even could say, I think this is where you tend to lean a little bit more. Um, but at our truest self, we are whatever Enneagram number we identify with that we've come to the realization that's what we are. That's how God made us. Um, every person has a unique personality that starts to display itself as a baby, then a child, then a teenager, and carries into adulthood. And you, if you're a parent, you can probably all attest to that. Like you've seen your kid display certain personality traits, and you're like, once we read through these, you're going to be like, oh yeah, my kid is this number, or my spouse is this number, or I definitely um, relate to this number but we shouldn't like label each other because it's just a tool. Anyway, our number that we most identify with doesn't change. We might lean into other numbers or relate well to them, but our core motivations and core fears in life don't change. So there's something that happens when you're a young person or a kid or a child that influences how you behave in life. So um, once we get into those core fears, maybe there's something that happened when you were little that kind of has been ingrained in you. This is how I want to think. This is how I'm going to protect myself. This is how I'm going to uh, live my life. This is what I'm going to seek. So that number doesn't change. It might look different in different seasons of your life, but the number itself doesn't change. We just learn to deal with them in healthy ways and sometimes unhealthy ways, which can mask as other numbers. All numbers are unique traits of God. Each number is special and valued by God. There isn't a number that's better than another number, and the numbers certainly aren't measured on a number line by significance. So being a one doesn't mean you're the best. Being a nine doesn't mean you're the worst. These are just the numbers, and that's why they're on a circle, because there is no right number. We're all displaying traits of God. If you don't relate to any number in particular today, that's totally okay. I've read that some people spend years researching the Enneagram before they truly find their number. Some people can find it easily by reading the number descriptions like we're going to do today. Some find it easily with the test. Um, there are a bunch of free tests you could take online and some that give you tons of feedback and details and all that stuff. If you can't figure out your number today, please don't write this off. Just listen, and maybe we can figure out your number later. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath, and we're going to jump into this. If you have any questions, look at the numbers. Write down questions that you have. We won't have time to talk in crazy detail about the numbers, um, but, and like I said, some people spend their whole lives researching this stuff um, or the different personality types, so I'd love to follow up with you. If you want more information, I can send you more information about a certain number, um, or if you're interested, like, I want to get along with my spouse better, and I know that they're this number. Can you send me more information? I would love to do that. Also, I'm not an official, like, Enneagram coach. I've just done research with what I know, um, so I'm not a professional by any means. So what I'm going to do today is break down the Enneagram numbers and associate each number with a person from the Bible, and as you can see on the little cards, I put a bunch more information too. This might go fast, and that's okay. Um, I was hoping Taylor would be here because he is um, 
oh, great. So he'll, he'll come up eventually, and he, he knows a lot about the Enneagram as well. So if you have questions after we do our discussion time, he and I can answer some questions you might have. Okay? Let's do this. Okay. So number one, if you identify with this number, number one, this person is called the good person or the reformer. So a Bible person that would relate to a number one because they are a number one, not that we have evidence because it was the Bible, um, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, would be a number one. A famous person that could relate to being a number one, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther who uh, nailed all the, what are they called? Thank you. He found some issues, yes, he found some issues with the Catholic Church, and he's like, this needs to change, and he wasn't afraid to like, hey, there's a better way we could do this. Core motivation of a one, they are seeking to be good enough. So I know that might sound like, that's kind of negative, but it's not. In their mind, they just want to be good enough. They want to be accepted by others. I want to be good enough. Their core fear is guilt or not being good enough, and their underlying sin is anger. And we talked last week about the gut triad. The ones camp out in the gut triad. They make decisions from their gut. What is best? What needs to happen right now? Let's do it. In other words, they are perfectionists, idealists, sometimes can be critical. They're very sensible, responsible, ethical, self-disciplined, principled, personal, or purposeful, and rational. These people think to themselves, how could this be more effective? Why aren't others as concerned as I am? I'll just do it myself. This will show them I can handle business. People are so stupid sometimes. This isn't good enough. I'm not good enough. So these are, I have asked people who are ones what kinds of things roll around in their brain. These are things that they have said. And not for all ones, but a lot of the ones I talk to. A Bible verse to help ground a one to keep them on the healthy side when they are working towards health and um, keeping Christ at the forefront of their mind, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ones need to remember, you don't have to be perfect to be loved by God. A big, a big um, milestone for ones to come to when they are not in health and when they're trying to be healthy people is that they have to realize that they don't have to earn their way to God's love, that they are loved just as they are. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to, you know, have everything organized and planned and ready to go. God loves them as they are. So that is the reformer, the good person, number one. Number twos are the loving people, the helpers, Bible people that could relate to being number two. Martha, which is Lazarus's sister, um, also Mary's sister, when she's like, Mary, why aren't you helping? And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha's like, we have so much to do. Or Mary, Jesus's mother. I think about Mary, Jesus's mother, during the um, story with Jesus at the wedding in Canaan, where Mary's like, Jesus, do something the wine's all gone. And he's like, it's not my time. And she's like, we need to help. That is totally what a two does um, in, a lot of, in a lot of situations. Famous people. Um, Mother Teresa was a two. 
Core motivation of a two, being helpful and caring, that is what they seek. If I am helpful and caring, I will be accepted by others. Core fear, shame. What will people say if I'm not helping? What will people say if I'm not showing as much love and pouring out for other people as I can? They are in the heart triad. Underlying sin is pride. The pride comes in when they feel like I have, this is a, a Martha, I have done so much, Jesus, and my sister's just sitting here doing nothing. Like, yell at her and give me praise because I have thrown this huge party for everyone. Like, I deserve to be acknowledged, get mad at her. In other words, twos are relational, generous, insecure, can be manipulative, self-unaware, because they're so aware of other people, hospitable, people-pleasing, possessive, and caring. They think to oneself, I can't appear weak. I can't appear that I'm not trying. What else needs to be done? I do so much for them. They should do more. I need to be doing more. I don't need anyone's help. I can do this on my own. Letting others help me shows that I'm weak or selfish. So when a two is trying to live into their health, they're trying not to um, be manipulative or be self-unaware. When they're trying to live into the truth that Jesus loves them and cares about them, um, focusing on John 13, 8 is a priority. Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. And something that two struggle with is being humble enough to say, Jesus I'm letting, I'm going to let you care for me or letting a spouse or a sibling or a parent care for them. Um, the reminder is allow yourself to be served by Jesus and others in order to feel the love that you long for. Because constantly twos are pouring out their love. Let me help you. Let me help you. I can do that. Let, yeah, let me do that. Um, and nobody's pouring into them and then they become super resentful and prideful. Um, and that can be a huge um, hindrance to a two living into the fullness of, of God's love. Okay, number three, the effective person or the achiever. The Bible people that would associate as threes are King Saul or Moses. King Saul would be a super unhealthy version of a three, and Moses displayed unhealthy versions but also healthier versions of a three. Famous person, Michael Jordan. Core motivation, being impressive, and looking accomplished, and looking successful. Their core fear is shame. They don't want to be embarrassed, and they think with their heart. Their underlying sin is self-image or self-promotion. In other words, false image is a big thing that they try to portray to people, like this is who I am, but really there's another self inside. They're ladder climbers. They're effective, competent, adaptable, hardworking, driven, and excelling. They think to themselves, I have to mask who I really am so others don't think I'm a failure. I must look perfect. Who am I if I'm not seen as successful? I must work faster and harder. I can't slow down or others will get ahead. The Bible verse that helps ground a three or puts them in a healthy position, is remembering 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And the reminder is, 
love for others, yourself, and Christ must be your motivation. Otherwise, your efforts are just noise to the world. And if threes are trying to live in the fullness of Christ's love, then their, their uh, motivation must be driven by love. I'm doing this to love others. I'm doing this to love God. I'm doing this to love myself, not to just uh, show everybody that I've got it going on kind of thing. Number four, the original person, the individualist. The Bible person for this would be King David, and the famous person would be Vincent Van Gogh. Core motivation of a four, being unique and different. That's what they're seeking in life, to be different, to be unique. Their core fear is shame, um, feeling bad when they're not being different, when they're like everybody else, they feel shame, and they think with their heart. Their underlying sin is envy, um, wanting what others have. In other words, they're very melancholy, can sometimes be depressed, have a self-loathing um, personality, can be critical, self-destructive, also can be very witty, imaginative, self-expressive, creative, inspired, strong, compassionate, great listeners, and very sensitive. They think to themselves, am I missing something that others have? I feel very blah. Everyone else is so ridiculous. My life is so hard. How can I set myself apart? Why do good things always happen to others? For a four to be grounded in the truth of Jesus, John 15, 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. A lot of times fours struggle with um, their feelings dictating their everything else. So how I feel is how I feel. It's what I think. I act on my feelings. And that can be a struggle if Christ's joy is not at the forefront of your mind. So remembering for fours, your identity and sense of self is complete in Christ. Number five, the wise person, the investigator. Bible people would be Nicodemus or Luke, Dr. Luke. Um, famous person, Bill Gates. Core motivation of a five, being knowledgeable and equipped. Core fear, fear itself. They think with their head. Their underlying sin is greed. And I know as soon as you hear that word, you're like, oh, that's terrible. But this is not just like collecting money and like hoarding it. Um, this is like holding on to time. I don't want anybody else to have my time unless I'm okay with it or my knowledge. I'm not going to just tell people what I know because that would be silly. So they hold on to, you know, everything, not just money, but that can also be a, a thing they struggle with. In other words, um, the investigator is argumentative, high-strung, um, cynical, reclusive, innovative, focused, perceptive, studious, observant, curious, insightful, objective, playful, compassionate, secretive, and can be very isolated. Thinks to oneself, I don't want to deal with my feelings today. What would happen if I opened up? People don't want to get deep with me. They can't handle this intellectual conversation. How does this work? Will I have enough energy for this? So a Bible verse that would ground a five is Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
So putting that trust back in God, that I don't have to have all the answers, that God is God. He is Lord of all. He knows what's going on, and I'm going to trust him. So the reminder is engaging the body and emotions is a way to connect with God, not just with your mind, because fives tend to focus so much on what they know or what they understand that they forget that God wants all of us, not just our brain. Sixes, the loyal person or the loyalist. Bible people would be the Apostle Peter or Ruth, famous person, Princess Diana. Core motivation, being secure and supported. Core fear, fear itself, they think with their heads. Underlying sin, anxiety. In other words, sixes are engaging, responsible, anxious, suspicious, helpful, troubleshooters, fearful. They tend to procrastinate a lot, but they're very committed and very engaging. They think to oneself, what if, in every situation, what if, what were to happen if, where am I? Am I safe? Why isn't anybody else concerned about this? I should intervene. I want to trust, but... Two Bible verses that would really help a six stay grounded in the truth of what God says is 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear, perfect love casts out fear. I don't think there is a perfect fear. And the reminder for sixes is give your anxieties to God and he will give you confidence in his security. So sevens. The joyful person, the entertainer, the Bible people that would relate to sevens, King Solomon or Barnabas, famous person, Franklin Roosevelt, core motivation, being fun and entertained. So not only do they seek to entertain others, they seek to be entertained. Their core fear, again, fear itself, they think with their heads, underlying sin, gluttony, and this isn't gluttony of just eating food, although sometimes that can result in, in that, but it's more about experiences. What can I get? How much can I acquire? I want to go do this. I want to go do that. In other words, they're upbeat, extroverted, outgoing, entertaining, accomplished, manic, uninhabited, thrill seekers, surface relationships, optimistic, adventurous, talkative, thoughtful, passionate, appreciative, content, and busy. They think to oneself, what's next? Who should I call to hang out with? I don't want to be alone right now. What's everyone else doing? Feelings are weird. Let's move on to something else. So a Bible verse that would, again, help a seven stay grounded. John 15, 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So God is telling them that their joy doesn't come from stimulus. It doesn't come from experiences. It doesn't come from relationships um, or substances. It comes from the joy that is found in Christ and having a relationship with him. Reminder, no experience or substance can give you the joy you're longing for except being complete in Christ. His joy is your joy. Number eight, the powerful person, the challenger. Bible people, John the Baptist or Miriam, who, is, who was Moses' sister. Famous person, Martin Luther King Jr. Core motivation, being strong and in control. 
Their desire is to have as much control as possible. Core fear is guilt, um, but also anger. So they're in the gut triad with the ones and nines. Underlying sin is lust, and not lust like in a relationship, um, but wanting more power. They want more, like how can I get more? In other words, they're self-confident, decisive, very just. They're leaders, they're intense, dominating, controlling, aggressive, confrontational, angry, tend to be bulldozers, courageous, determined, heroic, empowering, resourceful, and honorable. These eights think to themselves, I can't trust anyone, I have to do it myself. It's my way or the wrong way. People are wasting my time. I just want somebody to go back and forth with me. Why won't anyone else stand up with me? It's not okay to be weak. People will take advantage of me. Uh, a grounding verse for eights, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The reminder for eights, I don't have to be strong or in control because Jesus is my strength and he is in control. And our last one, number nine, the peaceful person, the peacemaker. Bible person, the Apostle John, famous person, Abraham Lincoln. Core motivation of a nine, being peaceful and calm and seeking that in all situations in life. Core fear is guilt or anger, which is the gut triad. Um, underlying sin, sloth, not just being lazy, although it can manifest itself as that. It's more of relational negligence, um, not wanting to get too deep into um, a relationship. In other words, they're peaceful, comforting, harmonious, mediators, patient, steady, relaxed, self-aware, proactive, healing, imaginative, engaged, serene, passionate, and easygoing. They think to themselves, does my presence or opinion really matter? I just need to keep the peace everywhere I go. Why is everyone else so loud? I wish people would just listen to me. I'm going to explode, but I need to stay calm. <sighs> Everything's fine. The Bible verse for nines that they need to remember is Ephesians 4.15. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Their reminder, the body of Christ will not grow into the fullness of Christ if I don't speak with boldness, with boldness the truth in love. So for a nine, if they don't engage in their world, they become very okay and comfortable just staying home, not talking, letting other people do what they want. And if they're not able to speak, speak up for themselves or speak up for the people around them, then the body of Christ isn't going to grow. We need everybody to be involved and to keep the circle going, so to speak. Keep the body of Christ moving forward in a good direction. So <sighs> now we're done. Um, I know that was a lot to digest. Before we take time for a group discussion, I just want to have everybody take a minute and just think about what I said. I know that there's a ton of information. If you have a question, now would be a good time to write it down. Um, 
if you're thinking of a particular number or somebody in your life that um, this res will resonate with, um, we're going to take a minute, look over the numbers at your table, look at the papers, or just sit and sit for a minute. All right, so for the sake of time, we're just going to jump to a Q&A. So if you have questions, this can be an open dialogue time. Seth's going to go get Taylor. Um, so if you have questions, like, feel free to shout them out. Or if you have a thought that something that stood out to you. The arrows, yes. So if you're looking at the Enneagram picture, um, the arrows show where numbers go in health or in distress or in unhealth. I don't know a good way of saying that. So let's look at, so I'm a two. So look at the number two. And when um, twos are not in health, they tend to go towards the eights. So they behave more like an eight. So this is how they're all interconnected. They behave more like an eight, more aggressive, more... Um, uh, controlling. And when twos are in health, I know the arrow is going from the four to the two, but the twos actually go to a four in health where they're able to share their emotions like, hey, that kind of upset me when you did that. This is something that would help me in the future. If you could work with me, I'm going to serve you. You serve me kind of thing. Um, so the arrows show how the numbers interconnect. I would sure hope that we're all a little bit of each one. I mean, again, these are all personality types of God. So all of us are representations of him. And if you feel like you're a couple different numbers, that's totally okay. I feel like I'm a two, a one, a four, an eight. Sometimes I feel like a nine. Uh... I feel extroverted sometimes, so I feel like a seven. So in, in any situation, you could feel like a certain number. But again, we're basing it off of core motivation and core fear. Like, what is the reason that you're doing something? You can come up here so that you can answer these two. Do you have any insight to the number, um, the arrows on this one? On specific ones, like an eight? Or yeah. So, like, an eight wants to be very successful. They're very success-driven because they want to be the leader. They want to be the challenger. Um, so, like, for anyone, if they're wrong, that means they have, they're going to be unsuccessful. Um, I'm just going to go around and kind of just summarize. Is that good to go? Yeah, or is there? Through all the numbers. Okay. So, we're just doing kind of a Q&A. Like oh, okay. I'll just talk about my, myself then. Um, I'm a seven normally. I love asking questions. I love talking. And I love going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. If you were to look at my daily schedule, I wake up at five, go to the gym. From the gym, I go to work. From work, I go and study. And it's just like this constant like hamster wheel. Busy. I love keeping myself busy. And, but when I'm stressed, I take on the attributes of a five, the negative attributes of a five and a one. So if I'm stressed, I'm, my attention to listen and to be present will be detrimented. So then I may be short with people. I may be more sarcastic with people. Um, or I'll be kind of, this is kind of where the sarcasm comes in between the one and the five. 
So if being a critic, but then also observing. To be sarcastic, you have to be pretty observant. So then that, that's kind of like an example of those two uh, numbers playing together in one personality when I'm stressed. But if I'm, if I'm a healthy seven, then I also take on the positive attributes of the five and the one. I may be able to sit back and listen more and not just think about the next thing I'm going to do, but be fully present in the moment. And I'll also be able to, in a healthy way, realize it's okay to be good enough and that I don't have to be perfect and that allows me to help people sift through options. Not just like judging as in like that's right or wrong, but helping people instead of thinking, I don't have people, let me phrase this, that people have options. So I help people, can help people judge and weigh their options that they have. Hmm? Um, seven, because you want to do everything. <laughs> and also, you had asked about um, can you can you do a bunch of different numbers? Oh, definitely. So there's also something I didn't want to throw out there because it's a whole other topic. But um, each number has wings. So mm -hmm. if I, so, I'm a two, and I wing one. So if you look at the enneagram, the wings think of like a bird or an airplane. You have to stay balanced. You have mm -hmm. to have both wings in order to stay balanced. So I tend to go towards the one. Um, more often than not, but sometimes I can act like a three um, in any given situation. So I tend to wing one a lot in conversations with people when I'm trying to be like a leader at school um, or a professional, mm -hmm. like when I'm doing art stuff. Um, but also when I am teaching, I'm also a performer for my students. So it, mm -hmm. if you feel like you're, I'm a bunch of different numbers that are really close together, it's probably you're one of those um, ones, but then you're winging to the side, and you're Great. showing those attributes as well. Yeah, I'm the same way with a seven, because I, I have authority complexes. So I have a, I either love people in authority, or I kind of am very skeptical or have disdain for them, and so then I become a challenger, and then I can also become skeptical. So those are ways that if I'm feeling threatened by an authority figure, I'm probably gonna take on attributes of the seven and eight. But then if I feel like I'm in a healthy relationship with someone in authority, then I'm gonna be very loyal to them. And I'm gonna be more of like a self-motivated leader. So instead of like having the person in authority tell me what to do, I'll seek out what I need to do to accomplish the task. So I'll lead myself. So those are ways that I can wing, my wings can be helpful to me, but also I have to be mindful of the ways that they can be um, unhelpful. Yeah. How, do you have you shared the like where they can take the test or? Uh, I haven't, but we could like even send that in a, a group date. Like right. There many free ones. There's many free ones. There's like a fifteen dollar one by the Enneagram, I think. Um, the people that run it, I guess. Um, but it's very helpful. It's very, um, this is actually something my wife and I, Kaylee, we went through before we were married. And we, uh, there's another book called The Path Between Us. And it's about how people's enneagrams mesh 
and create conflict, but also can help people out. And it helped us kind of like understand each other and uh, share, it absolutely, absolutely helped us share like experiences about ourselves that maybe just wouldn't come up through normal conversation. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. <laughs> the Path Between Us. So there's a book called The Path Between Us that talks about how different numbers interact. There's also um, through the um, uh, Your Enneagram Coach online, which we can send you the links, they actually have uh, books that they wrote where there's every single pairing of the numbers. So I'm a two and Seth's a five, and they have a book about how two and fives interact. It's a whole book yeah. about it. And it's, it's really to help you, like, in your uh, marriage mm -hmm. or your uh, leadership mm -hmm. group um, or something like that. So they have that stuff already made if you're interested right. in, like, how would, yeah, like, why do we work so well even though we're so different? Mm -hmm. And then there's also uh, Pastor Eric had oh, yeah. told me about um, the two numbers. And how they pulled his name. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that a lot. Okay. So there are like. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a coach again. But this was something really cool. So if you look at a number. I'm going to look at the two. And the eight and the four are where I go in um, health or stress. Not unhealth. In stress. And if I am living into the health of both the eight and the four. As a two, I'm pulled back to the center of the Enneagram circle. And the goal of this is if I'm self-aware enough, I'm able to come back to the middle where I am able, Carol, to relate to more numbers and see things from other people's perspectives. So this whole thing about like holidays are coming up, you're going to be with stressful family members, you already know what they're going to say that's going to trigger you. If you are understanding who you are, and I know you only have a couple weeks to do this, I'm kidding, uh, study up. Um, but if you're learning about yourself, you can step into those places of health and learn about those different numbers so that you're not triggered by what other people are saying because you're already coming back. I know that they're going to say this and it's going to make me not want to listen and it's going to shut me off. But if you're coming back to the middle and you're coming back to those other numbers um, in the center of the circle, you're going to be in a place of health where you're able to listen before reacting or you're able to just see from other people's perspectives like, okay, I don't agree with you at all, but I'm not going to leave the room. Or um, I'm going to listen until you're finished talking, and then I'll say something. Um, so that integration, the stress and healthy numbers will also pull you back to the center, and that's the goal of the circle. This is an aspect of, well, this is something Seth and I have talked about. You can tell me if I'm misquoting this. But <laughs> um, but like the reason that we're doing this in a church setting is because 
we don't just have a church full of sevens or nines or eights, and that we actually all need each other desperately. And the more that we can realize our need for one another, the more that we can resemble the image of God, the mm-hmm. full Enneagram mm-hmm. together. So that's like an exciting journey and challenge for us as a church <laughs> is to be vulnerable, to realize that we're going to be here to support one another and help each other work through life. Mm-hmm. And this is the reason I wanted to, I was so excited when Seth's like, you're up for the next two weeks. What do you want to talk about? And I was like, can I do the Enneagram? Um, Because if we are to be the church and we are to be set apart from the world to show them that there is another way of doing things, that they don't have to be angry with their family, they don't have to hate going to work and dealing with that coworker. If we're to be different, then we need to do things differently, right? So putting that back into perspective, we are all made in the image of God. We all have a gift. We're all his hands and feet. Like he said, we can't all be sevens because then we're just going from one thing to another and we're bouncing around. We're staying really busy and that can wear you out. So we need somebody to be a helper. We need somebody to be a peacemaker. We need somebody to be a challenger like, are we on track here? We need to be helping our neighborhood and it sounds like we're just doing a bunch of fun stuff or or we're just giving and giving. Who's pouring back into us? That's why we need everybody. And I've seen it in many churches that I've been in where the church is a representation of the community or the neighborhood or the school, and it's not it, it's not a representation of Christ. It's not a healthy representation of Christ. So if we're preparing ourselves now to have community members come join us one day, when our sanctuary is a reflection of our community, we have to start preparing now. How are we going to interact with others? How are we, when somebody new comes in, how am I gonna treat Taylor when he's sitting next to me and he's talking about something that I don't care about? Am I just gonna blow him off? Am I gonna go talk to Desiree? Well, you know, that's not what the body of Christ does because we're gonna celebrate each other. If we need to reconnect, if we need to reconcile with each other to show resiliency, then I need to go to Taylor and say, you know what? Like, I, I don't understand where you're coming from. Can you explain it? And taking the time to do that, showing that as a valued member of the body of Christ, we need to have this interaction. It's not comfortable. Maybe you need Seth to be there with you or another pastor to be there with you. But otherwise, we just look like the rest of the world. So that's the, the main focus behind why we did this two-week Enneagram study about reconciling with each other, showing resiliency, that just because we don't get along right now, there's hope that God can restore this relationship. Um, And knowing who we are is the first step. If you have questions, write them down, talk to either one of us, or just Google Enneagram. There's tons of stuff out there, tons of free um, YouTube videos, tons of free articles. You can email us, email Seth, and I'll send links if you want to see videos or Um, find out information. So thank you for listening.